0: And my point about moment versus movement is somewhat, in my eyes, something of a reflective practice uh, of thinking about what, you know, and talk and really thinking about, in my eyes, and we have to define what is a moment versus a movement too, right? And in my eyes, a movement is long-term change versus a moment being something that you read about in a history book that you don't feel like applies to you, um, in my eyes. But again, and it's a spectrum, obviously. Uh, but, you know, I think all the ideas and, and to go off something like Scott E's stuff about like, like, I don't know, just like talking about schools and, and all these things and, and these systems that need to change. And, you know, I, I'm starting to go get to a place where I'm not sure that these these structures are made to change. I'm not sure who I don't I don't even know if I feel comfortable saying that they're like white centric because I don't know who they're supposed to benefit sometimes. <laughs> um, the, Like, I don't know. I like I get like, there's so much um, structure, they're so rigid to change. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that there's, there's a large issue of just, um, of how, you know, how can we actually make meaningful changes in these places that aren't just these small microscopic things that are, and, and to me, the, the, the entire education system needs an overhaul, because I don't think it's structured in a way to really benefit anybody. Um, in its current capacity, and especially special education, um, unless you're in a very rich white district. um, Other than those places, um, I'm not, I have not seen the educational system be public education system be very successful.
1: Well, to me, when it speaks to hierarchy, right, why it's structured the way it's, it's hierarchy, whether that's economic, racial, you know, uh, gender sexuality and so forth and i think that the focus and if you go back and look i mean schools have been a contested space from the get-go same thing with universities and i think that speaks to the transformative potential that is inherent to education so i think to me what organizes it it's hierarchy right but it also the the, the focus that uh and all of the reforms, the structure, the testing, the managerial logics—all of that jazz—I think—is a reaction to the to the potentiality that is inherent to education.
2: I think one of the things that um, I'm really enjoying about this conversation <clears throat> is um, the criticality that um, needs to go along with. Change, right? And it's through our dialogues together where we can uh, think, feel, and reflect um, about even the metaphors um, or the language that will help us in that struggle, that continuous freedom struggle. Um, I remember um, taking African American history in undergrad, and that was one of the phrases that. Um, I even shared at some point in this semester um, with my students where maybe at that point, I didn't really understand, but I think right now we are in a place where this continuous freedom struggle needs to be at the forefront of what counts as citizenship, um, which is another contested and um, construct or idea that um i think as scott e is saying there is no neutral space in a sense these um, subject positions and positionalities and identities um are not neutral it kind of goes back to what scott uh, m was saying that by design the system has been set up since um the construction of this nation state um to um disenfranchise and erase right um certain folks versus others um and i think i think that's why i kind of go back to um glory latson billings and um critical race theory to counter narrate and interrogate our assumptions that might be working through us um in this moment right um because the moment is connected to the historical
1: yeah um i love that idea of discontinuous activism i think that's a beautiful way of putting it uh and like i said i i'm i admire Lenson billings a lot and i love the fact that she's kind of expanding out uh and, and asking us to look outside of the school and in a recent article just came out, she calls for a hard reset. That's the, uh, the language she's using. And I admire that, but here's my critique, and here's where I'm, I'm gonna part ways with her, is when she talks about the hard reset, she speaks to culturally relevant pedagogy, which I love, I think it's a great idea. But she falls right into the instrumental logics by just, in order to justify culturally relevant pedagogy, she's relying on test scores. And assessment data and the closing of achievement gaps. And that kind of uh, instrumental logics is undermines the project. So I, I'm one of those folks that I, I'm guilty of being excited about what I read last, right? So I just finished a book by Kyon Min Son, uh, uh, Clips of the Demos. And in it, he talks about a new way of thinking about democracy, and I think that's relevant to our conversation here. He talks about democratic attunement, which he speaks of as like this embodied disposition that orients our identity work and our subjectivities towards democratic collectivities. And I think if we get away, and I think that's a potential that's within things like culturally relevant pedagogy and so forth, but we need to stop thinking about achievement gaps and test scores and all of these other instrumental logic, these managerialism that is so colonized our imagination and start thinking about democratic entombment, start thinking about what is an what would education look like if our goal was this kind of democratic attunement, this of, of seeing your own individual identity work, not as self-fulfillment, not as, you know, uh, a growth mindset, but think of it as a democratic attunement, uh, uh, me in relation to the other and collectivities. And I think that's where I, I part ways with Ladson Billings. We need to break that linkage and we need to start thinking about education. I mean, I don't care if you go back to uh, Dewey or Du Bois, right? They they were talking about these kinds of things and uh, they are they're, they're still relevant. They're still salient to this moment.
3: Yeah, I and thanks for sharing that Scott. Um this is something that I think about often is um you know, making sure that as professionals and as even educators, um as people who have influence over others. Um, making sure that we aren't in some way uh, just upholding stuff that we're trying to um, dismantle. And I think that's an example of, um, of that. Um, also, even at a local level our teachers, right? I think about the teachers that come from the local college here and go into the school buildings here and um, or go into the school buildings in a nearby community where it has uh, a very high number of diversity. And I think about our black and brown educators who have received you know, a bachelor's degree and who are able to actually be the classroom teacher and not a para educator or a room assistant. But um, I think about them knowing their position and how they uphold, um, you know, systemic and institutionalized racism, and I I really wonder if they actually even know, because these are things that I learned about um, for me specifically when I got into grad school, and these were just really lightly brushed over. Um, in my undergrad years. And then, you know, connecting and networking and meeting like Dr. David Hernandez-Saca and having um, classes with you as well, I started uncovering, um, you know, once you know, you can't unknow. And just more and more, which made me do more self-education. But this isn't something that was offered to me. And I worry about our educators who get to that level of where you even think that you're going to be able to, um, create some type of change, but really maybe that the only change is representation. Um, you know, really, are you able to actively work to dismantle these systems within your position? Or do you know how you're able to actively work to dismantle these systems in your position? If there was, um, a protest at the school, if the kids decided to protest, would you walk out with those kids? Are you allowed to walk out with those kids? Are you allowed to encourage those kids? Are you um, one who can even, you know, teach the kids about protesting and teach the kids about, you know, making sure that you have demands that you expect to be met. So you're not just protesting just to be, you know, protesting. I think about Um, them still having to teach the curriculum, right? I think, I just think about all these things and not just in the education field. I think about it a lot in the education field, but in our other sectors, you know, when you're, when you become a nurse, um, you know, even, even in the church, uh, even in our nonprofit organizations here, you know, I mean, I think about it in kind of all levels and all sectors of the community. And even as Uh, a person in my family who is the only person that has, um, college degrees and how, you know, that reflects for me with the rest of my family, even when I'm having conversations, um, with them, am I talking about, you know, quantitative and qualitative, you know, research, stuff like that, that's just, you know, beyond what everyone else has, um, and just thinking about these relationships at kind of all levels from, you know, personal all the way um, to a high expansion in the community or personal to, you know, one's occupation. And um, it's very complicated, but I think that it's worth exploring, thinking about and talking about.
1: Yeah. And I mean, those are great examples, because, I mean, if if you think about it in terms of when I talk about power is constructed and contested, right? It's if you can frame the terms of debate, if you can frame the way people talk about issues of social justice, you win. That's how you construct power, right? So, I mean, many of my colleagues here uh, at, at my local university—they're uh, well-intentioned, right? I'm not disparaging in, in, in any way, and they're talking about social justice and they're they're trying to do social justice work, but it's always within the framework as it exists, right? Uh, in terms of, you know, whether it's the achievement gap or, or something of that nature or, you know, the, what I call the hero teacher, right, that we're going to produce hero teachers who, through better curriculum, better classroom management, they're going to fix all of our problems. And I think we have to get out of that framework. We have to break that framework in order to actually do the work. Because if you're entering these structures and playing the game of the structures, you can talk a good game and might be sincere and doing good work, but you're not actually going to challenge anything.
0: I think they, I've heard that called the dangerous minds kind of thing, right? Like where yes. the white teacher, the white savior goes in and saves everybody. I want to go back to Scott Eastpoint. point. I know we're running out of time, but it's a good discussion. But like, I, I think. Um, your point just about the systems aren't like, and I know I said it too, like the systems, like test scores and stuff like that, like measuring success by these rigid um, measures that we know really don't measure things that we know are culturally biased um, that are based oftentimes in eugenics and, and a lot of disability stuff around that too. Um, and, you know, I, I think we have to, like you're saying, we have to repurpose education. Now, what becomes the difficult part is is communicating to our our peers and such that have this rigorous this this rigid mindset and um years and 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 things that they feel like measure you know intelligence or achievement that i don't think truly do um and to me that's that become and and i want to promote critical thinking i want to promote self-development um, you know one I recently was also I'm in physical education as I said, and I, I'm actually really passionate about that curriculum because I think it could achieve a lot of those things or be an avenue to achieve things about like be, like just enjoying and one of the five standards that they have, which standards in itself often represent an issue when you're talking about the rigid, rigidness of of education. but one of them is basically, promotion of enjoyment of movement. And when we're in discussions, I was just recently was in a discussion about we're trying to update the standards and I felt like that one was I don't know, almost like people don't actually they they almost have it as a placeholder um rather than they teach to it or they use it in their lessons. Um and to me, I think it's a beautiful standard because that's what I actually want to achieve. I don't want to achieve an athlete in my, I mean, that's great if they want to be an athlete. Um, I want them to be happy with themselves and the joy of movement and, or, and, or the um, culture of movement. Um, and, you know, I, I know that's like a specific area, but like, I wish that those type of standards or those types of areas were, were more um, focused on because I'm, I think this idea of producing workers or producing, whatever it is that we're trying to produce in the education system for the last 200 years or whatever kind of, you know, really um, is not, it, it, I don't think, I don't know who, I really don't know always who who it's supposed to be even working for now, yeah. um, but it's just a system that's not working.
1: Well, I feel like I'm talking too much here, but you, you're really sparking some ideas. Like, so for one thing, I was sitting in a curriculum meeting not too long ago And I was using understanding. I was talking about student understanding. And one of my colleagues was like, well, you know, the accreditation agencies don't like understanding because you can't measure it. And, you know, and I I almost had a coronary right there. I was like, a university without understanding isn't a university, right? And a second thing I would like to point out is I want to make sure that I'm fair to Lanson Billings because she has called out the achievement gap, right? She speaks of the education debt. So when, when I read that hard reset article and she started talking about test scores and stuff that was kind of disappointed about it. But for me, uh, and I want to speak to what David was saying about critical. I I think that's a term that we all use a lot, right? In academia. It sounds like, you know, we're these academic revolutionaries and things of that nature, which is a bit over, over the top. Let's just say that. That's my polite way of putting it. But I, I do think the term is important because in terms of rethinking what what education could be to uh to think about what critical might mean it's to cultivate a misrelation to the social present right so that's how i think about my class to cultivate a misrelation to this historical moment right so instead of thinking about the transmission of content and then the measure to what degree we've deposited in brains We need to think about and about how we foster or cultivate uh, how young people relate to the world. Does that make sense? So I I think that's the break we need to make, and I think that plays into all manner of justice. You know, in terms of ableism, racism, economic justice, all of these things, we need to think about that democratic attunement or cultivating a misrelation to the present, to kind of get people. To move, so to speak. And I think the managerialism or uh, an institution that bans understanding is, you know, I I think that's meant to undermine that kind of relation to the world. Sorry.
2: No, I'm rambling too much here. No, this is really um, wonderful because I think it does get these sort of like esoteric language sometimes or terms to be palpable um, to our audience. And our audience are um, stakeholders in terms of teachers, parents, community members, um, and also researchers as well. But I think we're really advancing the conversation humbly as it relates to um, criticality in this moment. And um, I think the ways in which we think and feel um, and are in relationship with each other. Um, we, if we foreground that moving forward, not in a here's the silver bullet, right? Um, way, but in a way that, um, helps us, um, think about our dispositions in conversation as, um, agents in this system and that we're not outside of it or um, to demystify and to right um, to make the familiar strange and the strange familiar so to speak as it relates to the policies and practices that are um, become norm or common sense and to really um, disrupt that as you're um, mentioning uh, Scott E., um, in ways that, um, call all of us to be, um, courageous and also, um, honest and speak from, um, a level of reflexivity in dialogue with each other about our own power and privilege, um, is, I think, how we can uh engender um what critical race theorists talk about counter narratives in terms of our analysis of our own assumptions um about the world about um, um a topic at hand that um to generate new praxis so um i'm really excited for um continuing to learn and grow with with each of you and. Um, other colleagues and friends.
1: Yeah, and I'd say that speaks to it. I mean, and we don't need a hard reset. We need to rethink completely. Like, why do we do this? Are we really just trying to knock out human capital? Are we really just trying to produce workers? And if we're trying to do something else, that's going to fundamentally restructure the institution, right? So I think that's the conversation we need to be having is why do we do this? We all take it for granted, you know. It's kind of like when people talk about we need to fix education. My instant response is, tell me what's wrong. Because the, the, what's, the problem is always assumed, right? We assume our problems, we assume that we know what schools exist for, but we never actually have the conversation. And I think if we have that conversation, things might change pretty dramatically. And maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm, uh, I'm pretty deeply pessimistic, but maybe I'm being an optimist here. I don't know.
2: So I know we're probably out of time, but um, do we want to go around and maybe share one last um, thought or um, in order to start practicing, sort of rethinking, um, as Scott E. was mentioning? I think uh, you go, okay,
3: I think for me, and this kind of ties back in with um uh Ladson's billing too, is just um continuing to like share my truths and continuing to have conversations to actually um hear others' narratives and uh begin to even understand um what all of our truths really are um. I think uh, Scott M. earlier had said uh, the comment like he doesn't even really know who these who is benefiting from what or who um, who these structures are, uh, you know, kind of not in place for. I can't remember the exact exact way you said it, but I mean, I think that there is some truth in that and us just having conversations and hearing um each other's truths is uh, going to be basically how I proceed and I'm excited for even our next conversation because um this is just something I could do all day so
0: yeah no this has been awesome um I'm going to just I'm going to kind of I really enjoyed this conversation and and the discussion and um I was going to bring it back to something that, you know, I think we've been talking a lot about social justice out of those pandemics that are occurring. And one that I think is maybe global in all, maybe at least three out of the four, maybe not the fires, is um, uh, mis- knowledge and, and misinformation right now. Um, you know, when we talk about the po- politics, we talk about COVID um, and then talk about these, these movements, uh, and, and social justice things. Um, there is the, the, a breadth of, of knowledge dis- um, disinformation that I don't think has ever been there before. I think it's always been there, but it's so widespread now. And it's really almost its own over overlying or overarching pandemic right now. Um, that, you know, I think, um, is something that needs to be combated um, on a daily basis too, and uh, needs to be acknowledged within all the scopes of all these pandemics. Because, and I think even with the divisiveness that really exists, even within all of these these areas, is really due to mostly not just you know attitudes and all this, but a lot of it is based on poor knowledge being disseminated, um, and sometimes. It is do, being disseminated um, purposefully to cause, uh, you know, confusion and, and, and all these things. And um, that is something that I just think that, you know, doing podcasts and talking about it and really getting these ideas out in long form are really impactful to try to to try to combat. But that's kind of my last thought. <laughs> yeah,
1: and Scott, uh, can I play off that? And before we end, just my last thought would be, I'm gonna quote somebody that you would probably never think of me quoting. Milton Friedman said that crises happen. What comes next depends on the ideas that are lying around. So I think that's what everybody here is speaking to is we need to think about new ideas, new ways of talking about the world and new ways of talking about education, institutions, healthcare and whatnot. Because these crises do happen but crises themselves do not bring about change. People do. So it's the work that we do to take advantage, for lack of a better term, of moments of crisis to achieve lasting change, With, with knowing that it's going to be a continuous struggle, that there is no end point. So I think that's, that's the challenge.
2: Um. <clears throat> I really loved um, what each of you just shared because I think it's bringing us full circle. Um, But my last um, idea or um, expression would be to really um, go back to this idea that Scott E was saying about um, being a democratic sort of citizen, right? And how do we dialogue with each other um, and it really connects really well with what, um, Scott M was saying about how do we, um, um, listen, but with a critical eye, right? Where the information, um, should be, uh, one in which that, um, is also, um, critiqued or, um, investigated. And how do we, um, allow that to also um, be one in which um, provides all of us a space to tell our truths, like um, Joyce was mentioning. So easier said than done, but I think it goes back to the spirit of democracy. Thank you, everyone.
4: This resource was brought to you by the Midwest and Plains Equity Assistance Center. To find out about other Midwest and Plains Equity Assistance Center resources, visit our website at www.greatlakesequity.org. To subscribe to our publications, click on the subscribe to our publications link located on the Midwest and Plains Equity Assistance Center website. The Midwest and Plains Equity Assistance Center, a project of the Great Lakes Equity Center, is funded by the United States Department of Education to provide technical assistance, resources, and professional learning opportunities related to equity, civil rights, and systemic school reform throughout our 13-state region. The contents of this presentation were developed under a grant from the U.S. Department of Education. However, these contents do not necessarily represent the policy of the U.S. Department of Education, and you should not assume endorsement by the federal government. This product and its contents are provided to educators, local and state education agencies, and or non-commercial entities for educational training purposes only. No part of this recording may be reproduced or utilized in any form or in any means, electronic or mechanical, including recording or by any information storage and retrieval system without permission in writing from the Midwest and Plains Equity Assistance Center. Finally, the Midwest and Plains Equity Assistance Center would like to thank the Indiana University School of Education Indianapolis at IEPY, as well as Executive Director Dr. Catherine Pintorius, Director of Operations Dr. Sina Skelton, and Associate Director Dr. Tiffany Kaiser for their leadership and guidance in the development of all tools and resources to support the region.